The Bay of STEM Global Competitiveness Conference presents Leadership and Excellence in Diversity, Sustaining the Diversity Momentum in Changing Times, a professional development seminar. Featuring Assistant Inspector General for Surface Deployment and Distribution Command, Dr. Tara Phelps-Jones. Vice President of People and Culture for IBM Corporation, Drew Valentine. Chief Diversity Officer for the U.S. Army, Timothy Holman, and Inclusion and Diversity in Corporate Social Responsibility Business Partner for Aerotech, Jasmine Brennan. What does it mean to be a diversity leader? Over the past several years, diversity has been a hot topic. However, as times change and business challenges increase, the term has become a stale reference to check off a list of politically correct requirements. As leaders in diversity, we are challenged to educate, energize, and excite our organization around diversity initiatives. Diversity and inclusion leaders are key players on the executive leadership team with the specific responsibility of ensuring that human resources are honored, embraced, and ready to contribute great value. To continue to be successful and safeguard the great work and efforts of those before you, you must create a brand an image that reflects high integrity and strong leadership capacity. This workshop will arm you with the skills you need to change your leadership image and effectively function as a vital part of the leadership vision. Without further ado, the Bay STEM Global Competitiveness Conference presents Leadership and Excellence in Diversity, Sustaining the Diversity Momentum in Changing Times, featuring Dr. Tara Phelps-Jones, Drew Valentine, Timothy Holman, and Jasmine Brennan. Good afternoon, I'm Colonel Tim Holman. I'm the Army's Chief Diversity Officer and the moderator of what I selfishly call uh, the best panel of BEA, Leadership and Excellence in Diversity, Sustaining the Diversity Momentum in Changing Times. Before I begin, I have a few administrative announcements to make. This panel is scheduled from 315 to 430 for the, those of you that are military, 1515, 1630. It's gonna be right here in the Virginia A&B room, so if you're here for some other panel, you should probably rethink it, okay. There's absolutely no reason for us to sit this far back. I told you guys I would say that. You can come forward. I promise you we will not embarrass anybody. This is not church. You can come forward. We're going to have a great panel and a great discussion. I have a phenomenal uh, group of colleagues here, and we're going to talk to you a little bit about things that are very passionate to us. If you have not already, I'd ask that you make sure you get scanned in for this session. If you have a cell phone, make sure you turn it off so it's not buzzing when we have the presentations. For those of you that want to get uh, continuing education units or professional development hours, Morgan State is just outside of the door to the left. You can go to the table and you can get your credits for that. If you have not already, you'll get a, a site survey from the registration site. I'd ask that you fill it in and make sure you send it back so that it can use it to plan future uh, BEA events. If you want a copy of these slides after the conference, they'll be located at www.slideshare.net backslash ccgmag. During a question and answer session, you guys see we have a mic in the center. I'd ask that you make sure you go up to the mic, speak directly into the mic because it is being recorded. That fine gentleman over there is gonna record our session. The final thing, uh, if you have not already, you can download the BEA app from the Apple Store or from the Google Play Store. Uh, go to Commun Career Communications Group and download it. And you can follow BEA from that. 
And finally, if you want to follow on Twitter, they're at Bayer uh, Technology, or Facebook is at Bayer Systems. Now that I've gotten that out of the way, uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't thank the folks from CCG and our lead planner, Ms. Margaret Barfield, who planned this. Unfortunately, she's not with us today. Uh, but they put together what I think is a phenomenal group of panelists. Uh, you'll see when I read their resumes, this is an absolutely uh, outstanding group of folks to talk about diversity and inclusion. Before I introduce this panel, I would like to uh, just kind of talk to you a little bit about why we think uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion are so important. Uh, you know, there are several magazines, uh, several businesses have talked about advantages, disadvantages of diversity. Uh, and if depends on who you listen to. There are some folks who will say there's reasons for not having diverse workforces. Some of the things that they've cited is that you can create communications barriers. So you know, if you bring in someone from a different culture who doesn't speak English as a first language, you could absolutely find yourself uh, in that uh, in that kind of light. We've heard several diversities. Uh, we've heard that diversity causes some workplace uh, hostility, and, and that could be true if you don't have good leadership who knows how to take people with differences and make those people work together. And finally, diversity, diversity in workplaces can lessen the amount of trust that exists. And again, I think personally, as a as a soldier and as a person who's led diverse formations. I think much of that goes back to leaders being able to assess what you have with people and employ those people and make them work together. Contrary to that, though, some, some businesses have said uh, there's a tremendous amount of success that could be had through diversity. There's some people who cited about 35% more production uh, with diverse organizations than non-diverse organizations. And if you're in a business of making money, everybody knows production uh, equates to capital. Diversity in the workplace also enhances creativity. When you bring together people from different backgrounds, different experiences, different cultures, they have ability to do some things that people from just one background or one kind of experience cannot do. Diverse teams also earn more revenue than non-diverse teams, and diversity in the workplace can help companies grow. And again, if you're in the business of gaining capital, you obviously want to make sure that's one of the things that you do. So for those of us that work in a diversity space, we often ask ourselves, how can you not value diversity and inclusion in an organization? So I think when you guys came in, you saw something like this in your seat. If you don't have one of these, I'd ask you to get one right quick, and we'll talk about it. This will only take a few seconds. Grab one of these slides, and I'll kind of talk you through what I want you to do. I'd ask you to look in that left column and list four people that's not in your family, but those people you consider to be in your circle of trust. Then go across those rows, look at those columns, put an X by the people who have something in common with you. At the end of this, we'll talk about your circle of trust. Are we clear on that? Everybody good? Four people in the column on, on the left, go across, put an X every place else. All right, with that said, and since I know that these experts are excited to share their thoughts with you, I'll introduce my distinguished colleagues. First, we have Ms. Uh, Dr. Tara Phelps Jones. Dr. Uh, Jones is an Inspector General at the Headquarters of Military Surface Deployment and Distribution Command. She's a result-oriented consensus builder and highly motivated professional with over 23 years of experience with the federal government. Dr. Phelps Jones' academics record is impeccable. Upon graduating from Barbara Scotia College in Concord, North Carolina, she completed her master's degree at Morgan State University in Baltimore, Maryland. She later completed her doctorate of education in organizational leadership from Indiana Wesleyan University in Marion, Indiana. Dr. Phelps Jones is a sought after lecturer and workshop presenter. Most recently, she was honored as North Carolina HBCU living legend. Congratulations. Dr. Phelps Jones is known for her unique ability to intertwine scholarship and practical life experience. Welcome Dr. Phelps Jones. Next we have Mr. Drew Valentine. Mr. Valentine is vice president of people and culture for IBM systems and partner ecosystems. Based in Armonk, New York, 
Mr. Valentine leads a multidisciplinary team that has responsibility for talent management, leader development, and organizational oversight of IBM's vaunted mainframe and storage business. As a member of IBM's Chairman's uh, Acceleration Team, Mr. Valentine is personally collective uh, accountable for transforming the broader IBM enterprise. He also serves as a senior advisor to IBM's Black Executive Council, championing diversity and inclusion initiatives for IBM Global Force. Mr. Valentine attended Michigan State University, earning a bachelor's degree in uh, business administration and a master's of labor and industrial relations. He earned his law degree from Fordham University School of Law in New York and is admitted to practice in the state of New York and before the Supreme Court. He was also a lieutenant in the United States Army MP Corps. Cool. A proud 30-year IBMer, Drew is a winner of several leadership awards, including prestigious Bayer Dave Barclay Affirmative Action Lifetime Achievement Award in 2017. Let's welcome Mr. Valentine. And last but not least, I would like to introduce our presenter for today, Ms. Jasmine Brennan. Ms. Brennan is a member of Aerotech's employee experience team and serves as an inclusion and diversity and corporate social responsibility business partner. In her role, she leads the team with responsibility for inclusive leadership, training and education, inclusion and diversity council, and employee resource group governance, diversity talent programs, philanthropic giving, and employee volunteerism. She's passionate about her authenticity, inclusion, and cultivating a sense of belonging and incorporates those areas in both her personal and professional life. Before joining Aerotech, Ms. Brennan served as various inclusion and diversity roles with Allegus, sorry, Allegus <laughs> Group's network of subsidiary companies and played an integral role in development of Canon's USA's Global Diversity and Inclusion Program and Strategy. Ms. Brennan graduated from Canisius College with a Bachelor's of Art in Psychology, New York Institute of Technology with a Master's of Science in Human Resource Management, and completed a Diversity Practitioner Certification at Cornell University. Let's welcome and now hear from Ms. Brennan. Jasmine. All right, y'all, good afternoon. How's everyone? Awesome, awesome. Um, I hope that you all have enjoyed the conference as much as I have. Um, we at Aerotech are so proud to be sponsors of the Bayer Conference. We have been partnering with Career Communications Group for over 10 years and really recognize as the leading staffing provider in North America that it's imperative that we are not only contributing to cultivating more opportunities for black and brown professionals in STEM, but that we're a part of the education process as well. And so I'm really excited to have some conversation with all of you about how to cultivate inclusion and really ensure that we're diversifying the workforce as we go. And so with that in mind, I want to talk to you all this afternoon about some of the hot topics as they relate to diversity and inclusion. So my colleagues and I here before you this afternoon within our organizations are really charged with identifying ways to continue the momentum. As a society, we have made some great strides and impacts in really identifying ways to get people of color, women, and other underrepresented groups within our workforce. But now we're at a critical moment where there's an opportunity to do more and to continue to get the ball rolling. And so I've done some research and really identified four, again, of those hot topics that organizations are heavily focused on. 
And so today we're going to spend some time talking about first the multi-generational workforce. So just taking a look around, I see that there are folks from lots of different generations. And we're going to have some real talk and dialogue about how we as chief diversity officers are responsible for cultivating inclusion for people from all different generations. We're also going to talk about unconscious bias, which has become quite the buzzword um, in society as well as in the workplace as it relates to DNI. Then gender identity and expression, another hot topic. And last but certainly not least, shifting from diversity and inclusion to diversity, equity, and inclusion. So by show of hands, how many of you all have a diversity and inclusion strategy, program, or team within your organizations or um, your educational institutions? All right, I see a lot of hands going up. How many of you all are responsible in one way or another for DNI within your organizations? All right, so tell me, anyone, just go ahead and shout it out. Why do you all focus on DNI within your organizations? It's important. Yep, absolutely. What else? Move the business forward. Yep. So at Aerotech, we take the approach of looking at DNI in three key ways. First and foremost, we want to ensure that we are serving the communities in which we live and work. So I mentioned we are a staffing provider. We want to ensure that we are serving our clients and we are really mirroring the diversity within the community. Second, workplace, which a lot of you all can relate to um, and have strategies around within your organizations. That's the training, development, and inclusion of our people. And last but not least, workforce. Who are we bringing into our organization and how are we doing that? So we'll continue to talk through um, some strategy as well as how we're continuing the momentum around that strategy at Aerotech and big picture in the industry. So the first topic that we'll be covering is the multi-generational workforce. And I have to smile a little bit because um, I myself am a proud millennial, and I know that a lot of the conversation around DNI over the past couple of years has been around millennials in the workplace, how to manage millennials, how to work with and work for millennials. And as you know, leaders of diversity and inclusion, I'm sure those of you in the audience, my colleagues up here with me on the panel have had countless conversations about the ways that we can cultivate inclusion for individuals from each and every one of these generations. So it's a really interesting time, um, 2020, and we have about five generations represented in our workforce today. So first, we have the traditionalists that were born before 1945, also known as the silent generation. Do we have any traditionalists in the house this afternoon? Okay. So I just wanted to get thoughts there because as I was doing the research, and again, you all, a lot of these are generalities, right? Um, but as I was doing the research, I found that a lot of traditionalists um, are known for, you know, their perspective on striving for home ownership and the fact that they are really inspired to be and remain in the workplace um, for the entire span of their careers. So this generation was known for their allegiance to their employers and really remaining steadfast in their career through consistency. So these individuals were known in the workforce as you know, the subject matter experts that are very well versed in their space and take their time in communicating and articulating information. These are your trusted advisors. Next, we have the boomers from 1946 to 1965. Any baby boomers in the house? 
All right, so I'm going to um, talk through some of the common characteristics of the baby boomers, and I want you to let me know um, if any of this stuff resonates with any of you all. And Drew, I might pick on you a little bit here to get your thoughts. <laughs> all right, um, so here we say that the boomers have um, experienced a lot, right? The introduction of the television, Vietnam War, and the moon landing. And so within the workforce, their focus is on job security. Um, they are rewarded for loyalty with upward mobility. Thoughts? Yeah, sound about right? Anyone else? All right, all right. Next, we have Gen X, 1966 to 1977. Any Gen Xers? All right, y'all. It says that um, Gen Xers are looking for work-life balance, they're looking for independence, and they're looking to um, you know, move only if necessary for compensation. So if employers are doing a good job of providing the opportunities for advancement and compensation within that organization, for the most part, Gen Xers are gonna stick around. Does that sound right to you all in the audience, Gen Xers? All right. And next we have millennials, born between 1978 and 95. Um, so for the most part, millennials look at work as a means to an end. Any millennials in the house, does that sound familiar? All right then, all right, research is good, research is on point. Um, changing jobs for millennials is expected, right? We uh, typically make moves as we see fit. Um, and we switch jobs frequently and fast. Molina's in the house, does that sound about right? Yeah. All right. And then we have an emerging generation. So these were folks that were born after 1995. Some research says after 1997. So these individuals are around 25 years old or so and are just emerging into the workforce. So do we have any Gen 2020ers in the house this afternoon? All right, so I'm gonna pick on you all a little bit. First of all, I'm fascinated by this generation in and of itself, and not just, I think, because it's a part of my job, um, but because I'm curious about some of the, um, the overlap between millennials and Gen 2020, right? Because you all are right behind us, and I'm gonna be hiring some Gen 2020 years in the foreseeable future. Right, And so as I was doing the research, I learned that for the most part, those in Gen 2020, like you said, have a very different perspective on work and really have an entrepreneurial spirit. So 72% of Gen 2020 years, so these are individuals that are 18, 19, 20-ish, even younger in high school, are looking to start their own businesses, 72% as compared to 35-ish percent of millennials that are doing the same thing. Um, any other, you know, Gen 2020 years have any thoughts around just what you're looking for from employers? Yeah. Hello, I'm Ozza Spivey, a graduating senior at FAMU. And um, so I think Gen 2020 is looking for careers with organizations that align with their core values and jobs that they enjoy. And if they can't find that, then we'll probably start our own business. Yeah. Yeah. And that's absolutely what the research is saying, for sure. Um, in addition, you know, one really interesting fact about Gen 2020ers is just your ability to multitask, right? And so typically, um, as um, older generations kind of think about millennials and then this emerging generation, we think, you know, you know, head in the cell phone, AirPods on, always checking social media, and doing too much at the same time. And what the research shows is that because Gen 2020 are known as the digital natives, you all have have finessed 
doing more than one thing at a time. And so the delineation between work and personal life has kind of blurred. So lots of Gen 2020 years will start a project mid-afternoon, check it out and do some research on their, their way home on the train or the subway. And then while they're watching TV, pop open their laptop and start doing work. And it's super effective for them. And so I say all this and, you know, I kind of joke and tease about the differentiating factors between all of the generations because as diversity and inclusion leaders within our respective organizations and as supporters of DNI, we have to think about all of these unique preferences and skill sets and values, what each generation's looking for and find ways to cultivate workplaces where they can all thrive, right? Because if we're thinking about traditionalists and then Gen 2020 within one workplace, there's a lot of opportunity to just be intentional and cultivate a workplace where people can thrive, not just survive, and not just come in and check a box, right? And it's challenging. I mean, I think when we just think about the employee experience, for example, there are some generations that are thinking about employee wellness programs, right? There are others that are thinking about connecting work to social impact and purpose. Um, others that are really focused on flexible work arrangements, some that are focused on compensation. So that's just one of the many topics that we're all really focused on as chief diversity officers and leaders to ensure that we're sustaining that momentum. So next we'll transition over to unconscious bias. Um, you all have probably heard this word so much over the last five, seven years. Lots of large organizations like Starbucks have shut down their operations to do a complete day of training for their leaders around unconscious bias. And so as leaders, it is incumbent upon us to really talk about this in a meaningful way and to make it matter, right? So by show of hands, who in this room is biased? All right, so we all are. I heard someone say we all are, right? Let's talk about that. Who said we all are? Okay, tell me about that. Well, I, I think we come with a set of knowledge and experience based on where we are mm -hmm. in our career, mm -hmm. and where we are grown. Not to say that it's bad or good, but that's just our standard starting place of our belief system. Um, and then as we go into these industries, these careers, we're learning that we may need to shift because, oh my God, I didn't realize I was biased against this. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like a place where we all start unintentionally. But then we can choose either to either remove that or remain with it, and it may impact your ability to advance in career. Absolutely. Well said. So, you know, we are all biased, 110%. Um, at any given moment, we are taking in 11 million bits of information. 11 million in any given moment. Our brains can process 40, 40 bits of that 11 million bits of information. So just like what was just stated, our brains are constantly working essentially in autopilot, right? There are different things that we have learned throughout the courses of our lives, past experiences, even things that have been taught to us and passed down by teachers, parents, family members, friends, social media, media in general, that have now become a part of our mental schema and the way we just go about making decisions. 
And so as diversity and inclusion leaders and, and organizations that are focused on DNI, it's incumbent upon us to really lean into unconscious bias, but more so than that, to destigmatize it, right? Because I know that I personally have had conversations with leaders around unconscious bias, and they said to me, well, Jasmine, I'm not racist, I'm not prejudiced, I'm not homophobic, and it's like, wait, unconscious bias is none of those things, right? It's something that is inherent within each and every one of us because our brains have evolved to create these shortcuts that make it really easy for us to make decisions. And so in thinking about the way that unconscious bias impacts leaders and the way that they're making decisions as they relate to their people, there's been a ton of research done. Um, and one of my favorite um, organizations that actually Aerotech is partnering with currently is the Neuroleadership Institute. And they've come up with this model of unconscious bias, and it's SEEDS, S-E-E-D-S. And essentially, what these five areas do is boil down the different kinds of bias and how they show up. So we'll have a little bit of fun here as we think about this. First and foremost is similarity bias. So we inherently think that people that are similar to us are favorable in one way or another. Anyone shocked by this? I see a lot of head nods, right? And so as we are making decisions about hiring, promotion, mentorship, if I see something in, in myself, in someone else, I'm more likely by human nature to just lean into that person that much more. Human nature, right? Yeah, absolutely. For sure, yep. I mean, if I see someone come through my, um, my mailbox, send me their resume and say, hey, can you talk to me for a few minutes, and I know they're a Canisius College alum, I'm inclined to say, yeah, absolutely, let's, let's chat. I'll put in a referral for you, no questions asked, have a quick conversation, but after that, I'll send you right along, as opposed to maybe someone who just happened to get my email address anywhere else and shoot it over. Absolutely, any kind of similarity, yeah. Next is expedient. So this one's kind of, kind of interesting to me. Um, we think our first feeling must be true. So those of us who believe in following our gut, this is the expedience piece. So our brains are super smart, super complex, but also lazy, right? We just talked about the shortcuts that our brains take in making decisions. And so again, as we think about you know, the first impression that we have of someone when we are meeting a candidate for a job, we could very well be saying, well, oh, look at that person's shoes, they're all dinged up, I don't think they're the right fit for this job. And it's not something that you're really calculating, but your brain just takes you to that place. Next is experience. So we think our subjective perceptions are true. We talked about this a little bit, right? We draw on past experience and carry that forth as truth. We don't realize that there's a subjective nature to what our brains are telling us. And next is distance. So it's interesting, um, in a global workforce, it's not uncommon for us to manage folks that don't sit in the same office, state, country as us. Anyone work on a virtual team? So there's actually been some research done that demonstrates that a part of the brain has evolved and associated psychological safety with people that are closer to us. With that in mind, think about how the brain is tricking you to think that someone who you might not see each and every day is less favorable, competent, motivated, ready for the next opportunity, right? Again, totally outside of our purview. And last but not least, least safety. 
So we think bad outcomes are much more powerful than good outcomes. So with people, again, if we have a perception that someone is in one way or another unsafe, that could be to, you know, to our brand as leaders, someone that we think might not represent us well. We, again, associate them with risk, keep them at arm's length, don't necessarily afford them with the opportunity necessary. So a lot of information to take in, but I say all this to say, you know, again, the research has been done. We can talk about this, and I saw some eyebrow raises, head nods. It's shocking to understand that not only, you know, as DNI leaders, we're put in a position where, yes, we have to teach, and yes, we have to educate, but studies have shown that even leaders that have gone through unconscious bias training are not necessarily positioned to change or course correct their behavior. So all the research says training's not enough. There needs to be follow through, there needs to be practical application. And so a lot of organizations are implementing something called inclusion nudges. So when some of these people decisions are being made where unconscious bias runs rampant, for example, performance reviews, hiring, promotion, these organizations are doing quick reminders, whether they be microlearning trainings, emails, phone calls. Hey, I see that, you know, so-and-so on your team got a three out of five. Let's talk through that. Let's just talk through how you assess that person. I see that you got five stacks of resumes and you went with someone that went to your college. Let's talk about how you came to that decision. Or let's implement some kind of a formal rubric in an objective system that rules out some of that bias. All right. So big one that a lot of um, organizations are navigating, and I certainly think that as the workforce continues to evolve, there will be more to come around educating there. Next, another big one is supporting gender identity and expression. So this graphic is hard to see, but I wanted to ensure that I include it, and of course it will be um, in the notes. Um, this is called the genderbred person. Has anyone heard the genderbred person? No, okay, I see one hand. Can you explain the genderbred person? Just to echo what was said, the genderbred person is a graphic that was rolled out to really explain and kind of um, and lay out the difference between gender identity, attraction, sex, and expression, right? And so in a lot of forums, especially as organizations are seeking to cultivate inclusion for individuals that are gender non-binary and transgender, there's this um, bit of an education gap, right? There's a learning curve there, especially as we think about the multiple generations in the workforce and the fact that this is an evolving demographic area that individuals and organizations are looking to cultivate inclusion for. And so it's interesting, um, recently Merriam-Webster Dictionary recognized they as a, as a singular non-gender specific pronoun. So in addition to he, she, they has been introduced within the dictionary. And lots of organizations are seeking to find ways to truly cultivate inclusion. And with that in mind, they're doing things like implementing gender neutral bathrooms. So we all know that Target was one of the trailblazers there. Also providing healthcare benefits that afford opportunities for employees that are transitioning to be able to opt in and get the care that they need. 
also educating leaders and taking progressive steps to ensure that leaders understand their obligation and their responsibility to gender equity and also supporting individuals that are transitioning. And last but not least, and not included in the slide, but just building a safe space for LGBTQ plus employees to have the network of support, but also to educate the organization on some of those best practices. And so it's interesting to me as I was doing some of the research to really understand the difference between identity, attraction, sex, and expression. So gender identity in and of itself is just how you as a person in your head think about your identity, right? And how you define your gender. Then attraction is who you're drawn to sexually, romantically, and in other ways, and as well as who you're not drawn or attracted to. Sex are the physical traits that you were born with, and then expression is how you show up and present yourself in the world. So within your respective organizations, is the LGBTQ plus community top of mind? Um, are there initiatives around this demographic group by show of hands? Okay, how about the transgender and non-binary? Or is this evolving for some of you all? Evolving, yep, our organization as well. So again, you know, as leaders or progressive organizations, we are all in a space of really trying to figure this out and sustain the momentum that has been in place with the LGBTQ plus community and really honing in on how to cultivate inclusion for gender non-binary as well as transgender. And up next, shifting from diversity and inclusion to diversity, equity, and inclusion. So lots of words on this slide here, um, but essentially a lot of organizations have laid down the foundation around DNI, right? And what I have on this slide is just the way that we define diversity and inclusion within Aerotech. At a high level, diversity is a fact. You know, as organizations, we have people from all backgrounds, all walks of life within our organization. We can't change that, it just is what it is. But inclusion is a choice that each and every one of us make every day. We either invite people to be their authentic selves through our actions, our behaviors, the way we engage, or we send a message that your authentic self is not necessarily welcome here by policies, procedures, engagement, interaction, all of that. Now on the flip side, Equity is a strategic way of ensuring and acknowledging the fact that there are some underrepresented groups in the workplace that did not start out on an equal playing field, right? And a lot of organizations are making this shift because honestly, y'all, it is what it is. And it has been an echo, a kind of an elephant in the room to think that we can develop things like employee resource groups and training programs without also being really clear about the fact that there are some demographic groups that are just not starting here with other demographic groups. And so that looks like a very progressive look at not only some of the data and the metrics that are available, but assi really assigning a individuals that will look at things like compensation, performance management, policies and procedures, and what some of the steps can be taken to really ensure that we're leveling that playing field. And I'll wrap up with this. I kind of had fun with this a little bit, and I'll tell y'all a joke because I am a millennial. I can't help myself. Um, as I was going through and thinking about how I would synopsize the role of a chief diversity officer, I thought about hashtags, right? How could I keep this short and sweet? And if someone asked me what I did, how I could, in two or three words, sum it up. So the first one is strategic advisor. 
You know, all of us that do this work or take part in this work are seen by leadership in our organizations as advisors in the field. And so we are looked upon to not only understand some of the best practices externally and the benchmarks, but then how we can translate those within our respective organizations to galvanize change and keep that momentum going. This would be a longer hashtag, y'all, but it's organizational change agent. Right, And so in thinking about some of the work that chief diversity officers do, it involves mindset shifts and really questioning people's thought patterns and also sometimes taking a cold, hard look at the organization and calling the baby ugly. And so in thinking about the savvy that it, well, I mean, it is what it is. Sometimes it is what it is, right? Um, and so as chief diversity officers, not only does it take that influence and that savvy, but also that strategic advisorship to be able to navigate some of those changes and understand how hard to hit the gas and when to ease up. Next is advocate for diverse talent. So we talked a lot about unconscious bias. And in some instances, chief diversity officers are put in a position where they have to ask the difficult questions about why decisions are made in hiring, promotion, and why the organization looks and has the representation that it does. And last but not least, I love this one. I think this is going to be my personal hashtag, inclusion champion. And so in a lot of ways, chief diversity officers are looked as the role model and the gold standard for how inclusion looks. But not only that, they get folks on board and get folks to a place where they are building the business case and making it worth something to other leaders that are just not quite sure how to dive in and, and really what the value proposition is. So with that, I will go ahead and wrap up and hand it back over to my colleagues for more conversation. But I do hope that this foundation around some of the um, hot topics in DNI and the role of the Chief Diversity Officer were helpful to you all. Thanks, Ms. Brennan. Next, we'll hear from Dr. Phelps Jones. You're listening to Leadership in Excellence and Diversity, Sustaining the Diversity Momentum in Changing Times, a professional development seminar featuring Dr. Tara Phelps-Jones, Drew Valentine, Timothy Holman, and Jasmine Brennan. Brought to you by the Global Catalyst for Change, the Bay of STEM Global Competitiveness Conference, where we make the untapped potential possible. Be sure to check out our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Good afternoon, everyone. Didn't Jasmine do an outstanding job? That was so informative. Let's give her another hand. As Jasmine uh, talked earlier, she talked a little bit about uh, the difference between diversity and inclusion. And so I just want to build on that just a little bit uh, this afternoon and, and just speak in, in just common terms, street language, if you wish. Diversity is getting an invitation to the dance. Inclusion is being asked to dance once you arrive. Diversity is being asked to sit at the table, but inclusion is when they solicit your voice, they solicit your opinions and your recommendations. 
So in essence, inclusion is being a part of something, not just being a number, not just being a quota, not just being a token, but actually being involved. And so Jane O'Reilly, she is a scholar in uh, human resources and org behavior. And she says that one of the particularly important social needs is the need to belong, the need to feel valued and acknowledged by those with whom we interact. Then she goes on to say that one of the greatest threats to this need is social exclusion. So what is social exclusion? In broad terms, it refers to the inability of certain groups or individuals to uh, participate fully in society, in the workplace, or in the academic arena. So when you look at social exclusion, it takes, form of, it takes the form of discrimination along a number of dimensions, and some of those include gender, uh, ethnicity, your nationality, your ancestry, your language, uh, regional culture, or what have you. Uh, it could take place in the form of race, uh, your physical characteristics, your age, be it young or old or somewhere in between, uh, your religious uh, affiliation, your income, you know, you have the haves and you have the have-nots, as well as your sexual orientation. So there's been a lot of research in the field of social exclusion, and the research shows that there are, there are several effects of social exclusion. Um, one of those being reduced cognitive ability. Uh, the research shows that your intelligence performance is impaired because of social exclusion. Um, there's also an implication that social exclusion or rejection uh, temporarily interferes with your emotional responses, uh, whereby uh, impairing your capacity for empathy and understanding of others. Um, there is an increased apathy and self-sabotaging uh, behaviors. This is where uh, individuals, they, uh, they take irrational, self-defeating risks, they choose unhealthy behaviors, and they often procrastinate. Social exclusion, it is plausible that it, uh, in, excuse me, it impairs your social regulation or your self-regulation. It reduces your uh, capacity to find meaning and work outcomes, and it also decreases your general well-being, um, be it uh, physical, emotional, uh, physical, or spiritual. And there are some people who will say that uh, social, that inclusion is not important. Uh, they have a tendency to downplay it. They say, well, we live in the 21st, 21st century. They'll say, well, we've had a black president or we have, you know, diversity is rampant in our organization. Um, but uh, researchers, uh, I think that name was Tinge and um, Bondmaster, they said that human, human beings, uh, that they rely on life groups for their health for that well-being, for that comfort, and other positive outcomes. They want to be accepted into a social group and that, and, uh, that is almost indispensable goal for human striving. So everybody wants to be a part of something and that there are so many negative uh, aspects or effects when we exclude people. In other words, when we leave them out or when we reject people. So when we look at our, ourselves, when you stop and you do a self-assessment, you look at yourself, you ask yourself, you know, where, where do I stand on the spectrum of uh, DNI? You know, for real, Jasmine asked the question, how many people are biased? You know, all, two hands should have went up. Um, but sometimes we have to stop and really uh, just ask ourselves, where do we really stand? And so uh, today, some of you will have an assessment, uh, and it's called uh, the, 
put it over here. It is called the DNI Leadership uh, Capability Self-Assessment Tool. And we're not going to do this today for the sake of time because we really want to get to your questions. Um, but for those of you who do have the assessment, we want you when you get home or get back to your room or back to your workspaces, actually take the time to go through and to fill out the survey. It's about uh, about four or five pages, and it looks at it looks at your uh, diversity inclusion um, capability, and it looks at it in four areas. It gives you a snapshot of where you are, of your strengths, as well as your personal growth. So it'll look at your self-awareness. Uh, how aware are you when it comes to managing um, diversity and inclusion? It looks at strategic content. How frequently do you talk about uh, diversity and inclusion in your workspace? Do you take it in account when you're making business decisions? It also looks at and it measures your inclusive work environment. How are you creating an environment in which all of your team members feel like they are valued and they feel like they are a part of the team? And then finally, it looks at talent management. It looks at are you really hiring people based on their merit? Are you really trying to build a diverse and inclusive workforce based on the data that you provide? Again, if you take it home, you look at it, and then you could do a self-assessment, and this will help you show, it will help show you where you are in those areas that you need to improve on. Thank you so much. Now I'm gonna turn it over to our moderator. Thank you, Dr. Phelps-Jones. Next, we'll hear from Mr. Drew Valentine. Just a couple of comments. One, I am a lawyer by training. Uh, when I entered the workforce, I came with a degree in labor industrial relations and went on to get my law degree. And so I never intended to be in the diversity function or the uh, equality function. However, one of the things I did know is that this has traditionally been something that has been governed by the law. I heard someone in the back talk about the law and what our laws required. And it's the law is important because that's what dictates our social contract. Right, how we interact with each other, what are the things that we do, what's right, what's wrong, how do we curb behavior. We all would like to think that we know how to behave, right? We've got things that guide us, whether it be the Quran or the Bible or your grandmother, you know, someone tells you how to behave. But in the reality is the law comes down to it. And this has been something that's been been traditionally governed by the law from the start of this nation. If you think about slavery and land ownership and all these things. But I will say in today's environment though, it is becoming more about just me being myself, finding a purpose, what the young lady said in the back of the room. It doesn't really matter as much how much money I make if I don't feel good about myself while I'm doing it. Not just about the products that I support, but what I do, what do I believe in? What do I, what do I, find, what do I believe in? What do I find is my purpose? And do I really matter? And so I do think it's changing, however, it is still a discussion point. You know, we think about the laws in our world. What are we dealing with politically now? What's acceptable, what's not? Who gets a Congressional Medal of Freedom versus who got them in the past? All of these things go into the social contract and us being able to understand each other and interact with each other. And so that was the one thing before we get into the conversation I did want to talk about is it isn't about the law anymore. It's about the law of what we believe. 
and how we feel about each other. We can't rely on the law to instill these things in us and how we get, get along. The other thing is, as a business, as an organization, it also has to be tied to whatever the purpose of your organization is. You might say, well, why do we do this? Well, it's the right thing to do. Well, it can't just be the right thing to do because we have gotten together in some organization, some neighborhood, some country for a particular purpose. And what we need to do is as we identify what that purpose is, that we ensure diversity, inclusion, and the ability for everybody to participate in whatever this opportunity is, is balance. It's not about giving people a chance. It's giving ourselves a chance to make sure that we can be our best. If those of you have read Malcolm Gladwell and the studies he's done about how different people, different thought actually makes things better. You don't make as many mistakes. You don't create cars that have names that you can't sell in Spain, right? You don't do things like that. You don't create products that women would never buy because you can't use that in a particular way. You just don't make those mistakes. And then when you don't make mistakes, your organization will be a success. So that was, I think, just the one thing I did want to talk about is from a standpoint of the chief diversity officer, that person needs to do more than think about how the organization is feeling. They just have to keep a pulse on what the purpose is. Because whatever the purpose is, you just have to make sure people feel engaged. Because as you said, people have changed over time. Yes, that was my daughter that spoke up there a bit ago. And you can imagine she's a Cornell graduate, the conversations we've had over time. But at the end of the day, it's about identifying what that shared purpose is. And yes, I'm different. You're different. We're all different. But we can all have one thing in common, and that's the purpose. You know, we all can share that purpose and then spring from that. Thank you. So I can tell by earlier conversations, we have some people who are really excited about this topic. So what I'd like to do now is open up for about five, 10 minutes for some questions and answers. Again, we are recording, so I would ask you, if you have a question, move to the center, speak into the microphone, and then I will determine who on this panel will get your question. So who has the first question? Please, sir. Good afternoon, uh, Herman Washington, Consumers Energy. Uh, Jasmine, uh, first you spoke quite a bit about uh, the piece of equity, and um, equity in the workplace is usually uh, compared to a metaphorical or figurative front runner of sorts. Um, in your experiences, have you seen any friction among existing minority groups? And what, um, if anything, have you done to kind of um, deal with that as opposed to, you know, getting to a certain um, place with the front runner, but just different diverse minority groups? that I've seen friction, um, but I would say that organizationally, we are trying to take um, a holistic approach to cultivating equity for all of our underrepresented groups, right? And so the big ones for us right now are women and people of color. And so as we're building out our strategies around equity for these two demographic groups, we realize that there's not going to be a cookie cutter solution for women and a cookie cutter solution for people of color or a cookie cutter solution for women of color. But we do um, ensure that we're moving forth with a lot of transparency so that from a strategic standpoint, everyone understands why we are building this strategy around equity for these three specific demographic groups, the outcomes that are desired, and the tie into the why for the organization as well. Does that answer your question? Okay. 
Sure. One also, um, it, there is this, this idea of you're going to take away, right? That if you do this for me, you're going to take, if you do this for that group, you're going to take away something I'm doing. That's another reason for the purpose. You have to have this understanding, but no, if we have everybody here, it'll be more to share. I remember there was a famous saying that back when I was coming up through all of this, it was, none of us is as strong as all of us. And to say, well, markets change, products change, businesses change, and if we don't evolve as a business, we won't have as much to share. But if we can bring everyone to the table, then we're going to keep our share. That means it's more for everyone. So, I mean, I'm a male, right? And I'm in an environment that is uh, growing quickly with female um, employees, female executives. And you can feel that aggravation a bit, but you still have to come back to the point of, yeah, but they're getting us market share. Or, yeah, they're bringing us explosive products. They're, we're products we would never be. And you have to tie that back to the purpose and get everyone to understand that, you're not going to, you, you, you may lose something that wasn't, didn't exist anymore, right? And now we're going for something bigger, but you're right, it's gonna happen. LGBT competing against black, black competing against Hispanic. Everybody is like, but they're trying to fight over the same thing instead of fighting over the bigger thing. And so, it, but it's gonna happen. That's the bias and we have to try to get around that and make sure what's in it for all of us. Okay. Any other questions? Yes, sir. Um, Hannibal People from the U.S. Army Combat Capabilities Development Command. Uh, can you speak to an instance for any one of the panel members of when DNI may have backfired, or you might have seen an instance where inclusion ultimately hurt the bottom line, and how did you handle it? So, <laughs> well, I mean, I, I could try. Not, <laughs> Well, no, there, I mean, there have been some very historical things. For example, the example I gave of the, um, the car, for many of you, some of you who are in that, I can't remember what, what generation I had, the boomers? The boomers, right? Uh, there was a car called the Nova. How many of you remember the Chevy Nova? <laughs> so they named that car. It was a very popular car in the U.S. And when they took that car to Latin America, it did not sell. You know why it didn't sell? Because Nova in Spanish means don't go. No don't vibe. move, no vibe, don't go. That product did not sell. Now that's an example, maybe a bit further back, but it, just things like that. Um, I know that we've had some things in products a lot of times in advertising. You know, that some way you addressed a product that wasn't what was intended. I think Facebook is dealing with some of that now. Well, some of the things in the marketplace, it wasn't what they were intended. It gets you a lot of scrutiny. And now, you know, they're trying to make up for it with other types of things that maybe if they had had a more diverse management team, someone might have said, no, you know, you should be careful about the things you let people post. You know, you have to do a bit more. Um, there's a uh, change today. You can't just keep your hands off, right? Um, the um, CEOs today are starting to realize that they can't. It used to be that you could, you didn't talk about politics, you didn't talk about race, you didn't talk about how much money you made. But the CEOs can't do that anymore because people want to know. People that work for you want to know. They want to hold you accountable. So there's many instances out there today. If you think about these CEOs with their little piece of paper now talking about something that they had to do differently, you're seeing it a lot more today. A lot more today employees and customers holding these. How many of you don't buy certain products from certain stores or don't go anymore because of something they did around inclusion? 
something they said, something they did. How many don't go to Cracker Barrel anymore? How many don't go to Denny's anymore? That's an example of where they didn't get it right. They thought they were doing something right, but they didn't get it right. Um, within my current organization and, and some of my my colleagues in the room can attest to this we are very relationship oriented and so from the moment you get in the door just about people want to know your story and not just you know where'd you go to school where'd you grow up they want to get in your I mean your business right and they want to know you know what's your purpose What'd you do this weekend? What do you do on vacation? How about your kids? And not just how are they doing, but like how are they really doing? <laughs> and, you know, for a lot of people of color, right, we were taught personal disclosure is something that is sacred, right? And our business is our business and you go to work and you, you know, say just enough to be personable and connect as much as you need to. And then you go home to your family. Right, and so within our organization, we have some really well-intentioned leaders that have asked those questions of some of our people of color, and they've been like, "Whoa, what, why do you want to know that? Like, what, what do you want to know that for? What, what are you getting at?" Right, and so very well-intentioned leaders that are just seeking to understand and trying to build connection, and it was an education point for us, and it's still, you know, a point where we're just leaning into leaders and saying, "Hey." Everyone discloses information in different ways, um, and some folks might be a little thrown off by the, the deep dive into just tell, tell me your, your soul and your heart, everything that's been going on behind closed doors. So okay. I think that's, that's one that just stuck out to me there. So we had a very, uh, we had a rather aging uh, organization or aging population, aging workforce. And so we went through this uh, period where we were trying to bring in uh, just a bulk of millennials. And so as Jasmine talked earlier, you know, some of the characteristics of millennials, I mean, they'll, they'll hit it and quit it real quick, you know. And so when you have an aging workforce and they're only one or two deep and they're getting ready to retire, but you have, you know, people come in and then they're not going to last long. And so now you're going to have another void. And so um, we experienced that uh, some, some years ago in our organization. And so we're working hard now to try to make sure that, you know, we're just not targeting just one group of people, you know, just the millennials, but there are also people who've been in the organization for a long time who haven't had opportunity to be promoted and to move up. We're starting to target those people as well. Okay. All right, great, this works. Hello, my name is Casey Thompson. Um, I um, consider myself a bit of a, a generational hybrid from the standpoint of uh, the chart would say I'm a millennial. I was raised by traditionalists. And so I carry traditionalist values, um, as well as values of boomers, as well as values of everything in between. I, I carry all of that. And, and I found myself uh, a bit frustrated um, over my career of being solely classified as a millennial when there's so much deeper uh, to, to who I am and, and, and what values I carry. Uh, can you talk about some strategies to get people, employers, kind of beyond the research to the individual and understanding everything that the individual carries? question. I mean, I think that one of the, the things that we keep top of mind, and I make sure that I'm articulating as I'm talking to leaders about um, really engaging with their teams across generations, is the fact that there is not one cookie cutter 
millennial, right? We're not all going to show up the same way. We don't all want the same things. And that's there's variation, right? Um, I think organizationally, it's important that that be kind of the foundation for everything, inclusion and diversity. And so that not everyone is categorized into the same bucket as we think about other demographic groups like race, gender, sexual orientation, you name it. I mean, I can relate to your story, I was raised by my paternal grandmother, and so I'm a millennial, and there are some things that I claim, but other times I'm like, uh-uh, don't, don't loop me into that. I'm not, that's not my thing. Um, and so I just invite people to seek to understand me and to understand my story and what's important to me and how I operate and what I want out of the workplace, and I'm not shy about sharing that. I don't know if anyone else has okay. and, and I think, you know, to Jasmine's point, use much of this as a baseline. It would be like the person who says, hey, you know, I'm this horoscope or whatever, and it says you're this way. Yeah, as a general statement, it is probably applicable to some, but for some folks, you'll say that's not me. So I think whenever you do that, you take it and say, yep, if it fits, then I use it. If not, then I don't. Yes, ma'am. Hi, my name is Tony Johnson. I'm here with General Dynamics. Um, my question is, I'd, I'd like to hear your thoughts around um, keeping leadership in, from a diversity perspective, keeping their eye on the whole ball. I find sometimes people like to focus on what they can relate to. So for some people, because they have daughters, diversity means inclusion for women. Um, for some people, they have children who are on the autism spectrum. So diversity for them means uh, disability inclusion. I, I'm just, I'm wondering if you see that and, and how you keep it uh, broad. I can go. Um, I mean, I think, Drew, just as you were saying, like tying everything that we do from a DNI perspective into the overarching business objectives, right? There are folks that are going to be tied and tugged at the heartstrings to certain causes and demographic groups. Um, but for me, it's really important that I'm always speaking to how DNI is interwoven into the fabric of our organization and it's tied to things like our client engagement, our retention of high potential talent, all of that, so that, you know, there are leaders that are bought into the gamut of all that is DNI, not just women in leadership. And I help them to understand that I want them to hone their passion and be bought in there, but could really use their voice and their sponsorship and their influence in all of these areas as well. Okay, so this is gonna be, oh, just, okay. Just on that point though, I don't know that it's, it's, it's a problem for a leader to have a specialty or sensitivity or understanding on a particular uh, diverse group. No different than you have lawyers and you have salespeople, you have marketing people, you have people who bring these different things because if they really understand and they have this passion, they can actually help everyone understand. If they have a child that's on the spectrum, their experience is gonna help us as an organization understand what it's like to recruit a programmer who's on the spectrum. Yes, I have daughters and I'm good at daughters, I think. And, um, and I bring that to the workplace. But my experience will help a leader who doesn't have daughters and I'm trying to help him. Here's how you mentor. Here's how you sponsor a young female who's in your workplace. So I actually, I know you say, as long as you don't get it into, you know, one, two, three, I got three of these, four of these, I got two of these. As long as it's not that, you actually want your leaders to do that because then you have a senior ally, an advocate who's at the table representing them, who knows what it takes. So I think it's actually okay. You know, I'm the black uh, senior black sponsor for the black execs at IBM. I'm pretty good. I pretty understand blacks, right? But that's what you want. 
And then you want a Hispanic person. You want someone who can really help when it, when it gets into these debates. You want to trust that it's someone who knows, who's got the personal experience. So I think it's okay as long as it doesn't come down to you get some, you get some, you get this, you get that. So we have time for one more question, ma'am. That will be you. And then what I would like to do after your question, so you guys can prepare your remarks, we'll give you a few minutes to kind of give any closing comments, and then we will go to the circle of trust, and then we'll close this out. Uh, the speakers will stick around for a little bit. So if you guys want to continue this after or in the hallway, we can do that. So your question. Thank you. Um, hi, my name is Kayla Rosario, and I am an engineer at Boeing, but I'm also a diversity leader as well. And so um, at the beginning of our session, um, Jasmine, when you asked why is uh, diversity and inclusion important, I heard a diversity of thought, you know, and um, on that subject, I hear uh, the criticism of uh, diversity and inclusion that it comes from a similar uh, alignment of ideas, and therefore there is no diversity of thought. And if that's familiar, that seems to be the same vein of um, the memo that a Google employee had put out uh, a while back. So um, how, how do we place value on diversity of thought in this narrative? Are you talking about the one about women? Or there's been a number, so which email? <laughs> yeah, it was about women in STEM, and he was talking about uh, and about how affirmative action and diversity and inclusion at Google. Uh, he didn't believe that it was effective. Doctor. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow! You have to give me a moment on that to digest that. The doctor is the. <laughs> I can't defer to our uh, DNI leader here. Yeah, I mean, I would say diversity of thought is an area that a lot of organizations are navigating, um, specifically because it's not necessarily something that we can see or capture in a in a metric on a score sheet, right? Um, but. For me, thinking about diversity of thought, I've been able to get a lot more folks to the table as inclusion champions because it destigmatizes the thought that if I am a senior, straight, white, male leader in an organization, that I don't have a place to talk about diversity and inclusion because I'm not impacted and, and maybe I'm taking away a spot from someone that needs to be in that group or at that table. So we talk about diversity of thought, personality style, communication style, you name it, and we leverage that as inroads to really cultivate inclusion for groups that we might, you know, um, be excluding, of course, not deliberately, but because we're so honed in on certain demographic groups. I don't know if anyone else has any I would just say that one of the things Jasmine talked about, you know, there is this, there, there is proof that you operate at your best where you have some sort of psychological safety where you feel comfortable with who you are and being able to share openly. Someone mentioned this about the different things. And, and that's the core of it. It's not about coming to the table and talking about black things. It's being able to come to the table and talk about the risk that you think will happen if we go ahead with this project from my shared experience. So you had to separate those two. It's not coming forward and just talking about diverse things. It's my background will help me change the outcome of whatever it is we're trying to achieve. As a woman, my being able to collaborate with you will help you see better, talk to you more, pull more things out. So when we talk about diversity of thought, it's not talking about diverse things, it's that we're coming together and I'm going to contribute to this objective 
and the outcome's going to be different because I'm sitting here. And if you have all these same people sitting here, the outcome will be different, but maybe not as successful. So you just had to be careful about that. And I think that was the challenge that the person from Google, that Google, I actually thought it was Microsoft, but there's probably many of them. The challenge with what he was saying is he was just talking about competition and who's there and what they're doing. And that's a shifting standard, right? If you look at what products and things are. So it's back to that trying to protect what I got, right? And not focusing on what's outside. So what I'd like to do, and we'll start with Jasmine, uh, just a few minutes, one or two, and uh, kind of wrap up any last uh, words you have for the audience. Yeah, absolutely. I would, I'll be really brief um, since I've done a lot of talking this afternoon and just say that in continuing to sustain the momentum around diversity and inclusion, I would just urge you all to have the tough and courageous conversations just about difference. Um, be an open door to individuals that might be hesitant to have a tough conversation with someone perhaps that looks like you or is from your walk of life. And if this, you know, this kind of work is in your job title, think about ways that you can get more people to have the tough and uncomfortable conversations. Um, you know, I think societally there are lots of elephants in the room. And I don't think that enough of us are acknowledging them and just seeking to understand other people's perspectives. We don't have to agree, but we certainly can ask the question and get curious. I would just say my comment is on this idea of allyship, right? Is that you can't accomplish anything if you don't accomplish it together. I mean, all the way back to the Edmund Pettus Bridge, when you see those folks, it wasn't just black people on that bridge. There were white people on the bridge, there were Jewish people on the bridge, there were women, there were men. It's about allyship. And the thing I would tell you about allyship, it's uncomfortable because that means you have to share with someone and let them know why something they said made you feel uncomfortable. It goes back to the psychological safety, that I feel comfortable letting you know that, and guess what? That's gonna make them better. Because a lot of times they just don't know. And back to your point, we're not comfortable with that though. Lots of, yeah, we don't talk about that stuff. But how else are they going to know? And you're sitting here wishing they treat you differently they're not just going to know. So the key is building allyship. I think that's one thing that the LGBT population has done so great is most of the people who are in that group, they're not gay, they're straight, but they understand. They got people in their family, they have people they went to school with, they've taken the time, and that's why they've been able to put these coalitions together. And we have to do that with every group. You have to be able to take the chance. You gotta step out a little bit to help this person be better. Maybe it won't work. There's someday they won't work with it, knuckleheads, but that's the only way it's going to work, right? You have to come a little bit outside to bring them in, and that's how you develop an ally. That's the key to all of this. And then building on what uh, Drew just said, you have to be the change that you're looking for. Um, you may not be the DNI leader in your organization. I'm not the DNI leader in my organization, but I can make an impact in my personal private space. And so if we all step up, if we all, you know, just, just show up at the table, if we all try to make a difference, then at some point in time, hopefully we'll see a sea change. But again, you don't have to wait for somebody else to make it happen for you. You can make it happen for yourself. I would just say before I ask you to join me in a round of applause, one of the things that we talk about in my office a lot is diversity tends to create controversy sometimes because people say, okay, if we're going to do this, I have to replace somebody with this and that. So actually my office kind of strays away from diversity because we said equity and inclusion are probably as, if not more important, 
the diversity. Because if I get here and I have a panel of 10 and I have two eaches, but only those two that think they are important are heard, then you still don't have anything that really matters. So as you go back out to your organizations, I think, and this is just Holman, please don't start any business or church over this. I think one of the things you have to see is who has a voice at the table? Because if I have all these people and that panel looks different, but only two people get to make the decision, then you still don't have anything that will get you to where you want to go. So ladies and gentlemen, I would just ask you to join me in a big round of applause for this panel of people. Moderator, I didn't think he was going to be able to do this. <laughs> so, so, I would also ask you to give yourself a big round of applause, and here's why. I think you think this topic is that important. We talked about this is kind of the last session of Baya. We wondered, would it be two people, would it be 200? And the fact that you came out to hear this, I'd ask you to give yourself a big round of applause. So the last thing I want you to do, if you have not already, please take out that piece of paper that says circle of trust. If you have not completed it, please complete it. We have about four minutes. I want to just make sure we talk a little bit about this. So I actually stole this from some folks who work for us. Uh, they came, presented to me some training that I asked them to develop. And I saw this slide and they had us fill this slide out and I thought it was just important. Now here's what I'd ask you to do. Most of you really think diversity, equity, inclusion are important. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. You've also filled this thing out. Now, I ask you to look at your circle of trust. You shouldn't have any family members or any of that stuff. But what I would ask you is that how many people on your sheet are different from you? If you're the people who are saying we should have diversity, what's wrong with your circle of trust? And why does it look predominantly like people that look like you? So how do you leave this, hearing what they just told you, believing what you believe, that we should have diversity, we should have equity and inclusion, and enhance your circle of trust? Ladies and gentlemen, the panel will remain for a little bit. I'd ask you, if you have questions for them, we, I think we're the last one in here, so you can stick around. They'll answer a few questions for you. But again, thank you. Have a safe and uh, 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 easy trip home, and we'll see you tonight at the gala. Thank you for listening to Leadership and Excellence in Diversity, Sustaining the Diversity Momentum in Changing Times, a professional development seminar. Featuring Assistant Inspector General for Surface Deployment and Distribution Command, Dr. Tara Phelps-Jones, Vice President of People and Culture for IBM Corporation, Drew Valentine, Chief Diversity Officer for the U.S. Army, Timothy Holman, and Inclusion and Diversity in Corporate Social Responsibility Business Partner for Aerotech, Jasmine Brennan. If you've enjoyed this presentation, be sure to attend the Bay of STEM Global Competitiveness Conference. For more information on how you, your company, or organization can take part, visit www.baya.org. For college students, contact us at 410 244-7101.